crossroads, crossroads of life. We come to a lot of them, don't we? A lot of decisions that we make every day. Like the level of how high we turn the mic up or not. Different decisions like that. But all the time we are facing these decisions and some of the hardest decisions in life involve our happiness or even our righteousness. Uh, And the choice for happiness is not always as simple as we want it to be, is it? It doesn't matter who you are, really. It doesn't matter your background, your religion, gender, or even your political affiliation. Everyone wants to be happy. Nobody enjoys being sad or down. Happiness is a feeling that can lead us to our greatest moments, but happiness can also lead us to our darkest valleys. $1.6 billion. That's a billion with a B. That was the lottery just a few weeks ago. And I was reading an article uh, that, uh, through Time Magazine about how it was proven that $1.6 billion would not make you happy. And I thought, wow, you figured that out. Congratulations. But I would have liked to have been the guy that would have been like, test that for them. I'd have been like, well, just give me $1.6 billion. I'll let you know how happy it makes me or not, right? That's, we would love to be in that position. But I'm convinced all the money in the world, all the treasures in the world won't bring us that. But God does give us instruction on what does bring happiness. And not just happiness, because I believe there is something that is greater than happiness, something that brings a feeling like no other, and it's righteousness. It's righteousness. That's the two decisions in life. While being blessed is a benefit of joy and happiness, but it's really a byproduct of following God's word. The great question we face every day, every day, not just a one-time decision, not just a one-time decision, but every day is righteousness or not. And the psalmist opens up the Psalter with this great six verses. The books of wisdom are opened with six verses that are so clear, so simple. God, bless the reading of your word this morning. Bless us as we dive in that you would teach us your truths, what you stand for, and what you call us to. In your name we pray, amen. Oops. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous." For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, 
but the ways of the wicked lead to destruction. Righteousness in Christ can bring you happiness, not the other way around. Right? We see this in blessed is the one. And that word blessed in the beginnings of Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 is another word for happy is the man or blessed is the man. The one. Same word that is translated over into the Greek in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Blessed. Happiness. Uh, joy will be found. All those words are what we're looking at here when the psalmist opens this up. And so you open up with this promise of blessed is the one. Now, we all know those people that seem to be allergic to happiness, right? Negativity is their middle name. Uh, But then we also know the person that, like, you're having a bad day, as we all have, and they come in and they're like, hey, let's just sing a song unto the Lord. And you're like, why don't you just sing yourself out of this room with me right now, okay? But happiness is something that we want, and it is a blessing. And we look at it often as, should I want this? Because happiness is bad, right? It's really not. You don't have to go so far into being blessed and happy that it's the prosperity gospel. You don't have to go that. God enjoys to see His children happy. God wants to bless us. Right? If our earthly father gives us gifts, does not our heavenly father want to give us much more? And he enjoys that. And so we open up and say, blessed is the one. But it's not just about happiness. As Matthew Henry says, goodness and holiness are not the only way to happiness, but they are happiness themselves. John Piper says in another way, those who are truly happy are truly holy. We see that because we know that holiness brings greater happiness because it can't be money and it can't be things of the world, right? How many celebrities do we see over and over and over again through suicide, depression? It's unbelievable. We live in a society that says happiness is priority. We medicate ourselves into a coma. We don't want to feel anything. And let's not forget about the society that's in our church, right? We often talk about the world. We often talk about what's happening. But let's just talk about what's happening in these doors, in our churches. We're full of people that choose happiness over holiness. God surely doesn't want me to be in this marriage if I'm unhappy. So divorce must be the answer. Surely God does not want me to struggle financially, so I'll do whatever it takes to make a dollar But what we do when we choose happiness over holiness, which God is far more concerned about, is tell the world that happiness is the key to God. Happiness is the way to pleasing Him. So if you feel happy when you are pleasing God, then it must be right. But God's more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. But I am thankful that God offers true happiness through Him. And it's through his righteousness. So look at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Walk, stand, sit. 
a progression that is easily written here in the beautiful poetry of the Psalter and very intentional of why this was written this way. There was purpose and intentionality in the Hebrew writing, and these three lines in this stanza would give us and make complete sense to the reader in that day. Sin promises happiness, but it delivers death. Tripp um, loves to throw anything. His mom does not like for him to throw things. His dad is working towards a scholarship for him, <laughs> so we're trying to throw things already. So there's a bit of a battle in our house, right? And so maybe sometimes, possibly, when mom is away, dad and son throw in the house like we shouldn't, with only in indoor balls. And Rachel continues to tell me that he doesn't know the difference in indoor balls and things made of glass. He doesn't know the difference. And it's true because he knows he's not supposed to do that. And I've tried to tell him, when mom's here, we can't throw stuff. <laughs> but he doesn't get it. So he'll, he'll grab something and he'll kind of just toss it a little bit, you know, just a little bit. See if anyone's watching and I'm watching. I'm like, that wasn't that bad, you know. Then he'll get it. Throw it a little farther, trip. Can't do that. Turn the other way. Next thing you know, it's just launched out, right? Across the room. And he's just waiting to slowly get more comfortable and comfortable in this. And we really do the same thing when it comes to sin. The psalmist is described in the natural progression of sin, right? At first, we start walking in step with sin. We start walking with it. We know it's wrong, but we like what it offers. We begin to think about it more and more and entertain the idea of what this sin could bring us. Then we take the next step. After we entertain it long enough, right, we start to stand with the path of the sin. We've stopped walking, and now we've gotten comfortable. We're standing with our own sin. We still know it's wrong, but hey, we can repent later. Or the classic, uh, how many times you tell yourself this, no one will ever find out. Then the last and final step is sitting. We look like sin now at this point. No one can tell the difference in me and sin. It's marked and defines my life, and I have no interest in turning back to God. I love my sin. You see how quickly that happens. It's like, it's like a dog. You let a dog out that you first get, right? And you just let it out of the house. What happens? It's gone. That dog is going to follow after the scent that it wants. It may not even be a bad scent. It could be a nice, juicy steak. It could be something that's great. But the nose is down, smells the scent, and it's running as fast as it can be. It doesn't know, it doesn't understand or care that the comfort and protection of their home is behind them doesn't care that the greatest and safest and most important place that that dog can be is at home with the owner. It just wants the steak. And we do that with our sin. We get that scent, and all of a sudden we start going towards it, and our nose is down, and we may even think it's right. It could be our good deeds. It could be our self-righteousness. And we're going after it, and God's saying, you're running as far away from my protection as possible. You are leaving as far away from what I am trying to bless you with. I am trying to say, Blessed is the one. I'm trying to say you will be happy. You will be blessed 
Your life will be greater if you do this, but yet you are running as far away from me as possible. There's no blessing in that. There's only curses in that. And I look uh, at Isaiah 53 and talking about the suffering servant. And I use an example of dogs, sheep are similar, and so are we. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That servant is Jesus, and we know that to be true. So why is the blessed to run so far away in this progression of sin? Why is it good not even to get close and walk in the ways of the wicked? Because Christ died for that. He came to set us free from that. There is no blessing in sitting and walking and standing in sin. I don't know which part of that progression you may be in today. You may have just began to walk beside it. Get away. Run away. You may have began to sit down with it. You may look like it. Get away. Run away from the sin and run towards God. And if you do that, if you do that, this is the answer. You want to know how to run away from sin? You want to know how to do that? Well, the psalmist is great to tell us that. Don't walk, sit, stand with the sinner, but blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Here's what's awesome to know about my sin, about what I need to live in a righteous life. God's given me all I need to do that. God has supplied all that we need to live a life of righteousness. There's no like, you, you don't have to leave here today and just go to Lifeway as much as I love Lifeway and I can spend so much money there, I love it. But you don't have to go there and buy the best top seller for you to live a life of righteousness. You don't. You don't have to go to a conference. You don't even have to hear me today. But God has given us this to hear and to know what it's like to live a life of righteousness. But I think it's also interesting that it doesn't say in that verse, and who reads on his law day and night, while that is a part of it, there is a meditation that takes place. Before I say this, I want to kind of give a disclaimer, all right? There are two sides that we have when it comes to God's Word in the church today. We have one side who, if a pastor in this certain church was preaching and this happened to come in the building, they would have no idea what it was. Oh, oh. I mean, they're basically motivational speakers who call themselves pastors because their paycheck has the name church on it. They wouldn't know how to divide this, how to deliver this, how to give the Word of God if it was the last thing they had. And we have churches full of that. And they love to hear things that make them feel good, that tickle their ears, that, that encourage them and puff them up, and they love that. There are churches in this city around us that do that. And I think we, we all probably know that. Like I'm not tell, I don't think I'm telling you something today that, that surprises you by telling you that about the Word of God. But here's the one that's equally dangerous that unfortunately is a surprise to us. I've heard it 
around here. I've heard it at churches for years. But sometimes people just want to be like this, and this, and this, all while people are ushering themselves into the gates of hell. And this somehow has become the fourth member of the Trinity. And we've began Bible worship. That all I need is this and I'm good to go. Last I checked, we're called to be doers of the word. Not just readers of the word. And there's people that have devoted their life to this. I'm not trying to offend you. If you read your word a lot, that's great. But it better be accompanied with some doing. Because that's what God has called us to do with his word. Not to just be consumers of God's word. And it's equally dangerous of those who ignore it. Because neither one are doing anything for the mission of the gospel. So when you look at verse 2, the psalmist is talking about a verb, delighting and meditating on the words of God. So delighting can be hard, right? Because sometimes I don't want to delight in the words of God. Because sometimes the words of God aren't very delightful to me. Because it means I have to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. I have to act certain ways that I don't necessarily want to act. Or maybe that whole thing about dying to self every day, that's pretty hard for me. I don't know about you. There are things in there that's hard to delight in. But the psalmist is saying how much blessing it is when you choose to delight in that. When you take up God's words and you follow after those commands and you delight in it. And then when we meditate on it, that doesn't mean we go into our closet and we sit and we hum and we cross our legs and that's not what this is saying. That's bad interpretation. But meditate on his law day and night. What that means is that constantly the words of God are coming up and reminding me when I'm in line at JCPenney of what the right thing to do is if someone cuts in front of me or what the right thing to do is when you have a hard situation with someone in my family. Meditating on that day and night, constantly, my life is guided and pushed by the words in this book. Not sitting around just taking in, taking in, taking in. That's not blessing. But actually using it and applying it, right? I'm happy, I'm delighting in it, I'm meditating on it. There's the blessing. So I'm not walking with the sinner, but I'm delighting and I'm meditating on the words of God. And 118 chapters later in Psalms, right? How could a young person stay on the path of purity? By living, living, not reading, living according to your word. Like he's assuming you know the word. He's assuming you're reading. Because it's God's gift to us, right? But living according to the word. God has given us what we need to know right here in his word. Where are you with this? Are you someone who needs to move towards the righteousness of Christ by actually beginning to read his word and study because you've never committed to that? The assumption of all believers that are growing and walking and reading in God's word? Or are you that person that needs to stop only reading and just soaking in so much and like you just, everything you think of is just a devotional, devotional something that you can do and you need to actually start living and doing the word? I don't know which side you may be on the spectrum, but God's calling us here in the middle to take in the word and then live and meditate and delight 
and push and share the Word of God. Somewhere in the middle. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I would like for us all to find ourselves, including myself, closer to that middle mark. So if we run from sin, we delight and meditate in the Word of God, here's the blessing, right? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You ever seen the Red Oaks in California? Anyone ever been there? It's magnificent to see something so monstrous. It doesn't matter. Like, we could get all of us in here, every guy in here, and let's just push on it as hard as we can. You know what? It's not budging. It's not going to move. We could take my truck, run right into it. I wouldn't advise being in it. Go right into it. It's not going to budge. They're huge. And the roots, the system of those roots, they go out so much even greater and farther than that. It's just a beautiful thing to see, right? But hundreds of years ago was when the process of that tree began to grow. And it took a long time for this tree to be as beautiful and as large and great as it is. It took a long time. But yet, here it is. Now, if I showed you a picture of a mushroom, right? It's pretty cool looking too in that picture specifically. Never seen a mushroom like that. Doesn't even look real. As a matter of fact, probably should have chosen a better picture. But when we see mushrooms, that thing could have started growing last night. Because I'll mow and wake up the next day and the cotton-picking things will be all in my yard already. I'm like, how did you get here? You weren't here yesterday. I went to bed and now you're here. Our lives oftentimes reflect that of a mushroom. We want to grow fast. We want to show how mature we are super quick. We want to show how big we are and how great we are. We want to skip the studying of God's Word. We want to skip the process of discipleship. We want to skip sharing God's Word and doing the things that He's called us to do. We just want to have the blessing. We just want the eternal glory. We just want someone to say, hey, look at me. But you know the difference is? I can go to the mushroom and kick it across the yard. If I kick the tree, my foot will break. We have to be patient. When we go through the discipleship process, when we study God's Word, because I don't know about you, but I want God to grow me into an oak tree. I want to be like that tree planted by the water that's unshakable, that gives fruit in season, out of season. I don't want to be like the mushroom that just when a hard storm comes through, it's gone. That some kid picks it up and can just pluck it out of the ground. I don't want to be like that. But I'm thankful that there's good news for us when it comes to choosing righteousness. When it comes to growing and being like that tree. Because I can't produce that in and of myself. I can't grow myself to make myself be something that I'm not. But Jesus can. And Jesus made a way for righteousness. And we see it even 
in Psalm chapter 1. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous. For the Lord watches. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I'm thankful this verse doesn't say that the believer has to look after his own righteousness. That somehow I have to keep myself in order by myself by doing the do's and don'ts of God's word. But it says that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. We aren't even capable in and of ourselves because I know me and my nasty flesh wants to choose the things and run astray as far as it can. But the spirit within me that calls me to righteousness, that calls me to his word, that calls me to what he's calling me to, he provided the righteousness. It's interesting that after the psalmist gives us the great instruction and encouragement and how to choose righteousness instead of sin, after all of that, it's the Lord, right? We were discussing sin earlier, and I used a verse in Isaiah 53 that discusses uh, that all of us go astray and we run towards sin. Well, Peter knew where I was going to go with this message today, so he decided to write the truth about this verse in First Peter as well, and I appreciate that very much. Uh-oh. You can click me on that, First Peter, that'd be great. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, and he repeats Isaiah 53 here, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer, the watcher, the protector over your souls. Wow. So if you want to choose righteousness, you know what the step is before you ever get to here? Before you ever get to serving? Choose Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the righteousness that I have. My righteousness is nasty. It's nothing. I can't read enough Bible verses. I can't check up enough marks in my uh, school and church attendance. I can't do any of that enough. My righteousness means nothing. But it's the cloak of Christ's righteousness that is thrown upon me that means anything when I choose Jesus. He made a way when there was no way. When you do that, here's what's great. When you begin to walk with Jesus, the Spirit will lead you not to walk with the wicked or to stand in the way of the sinner or to sit in the company of mockers. The Spirit will show you how to delight in the Word and meditate on it every moment. The Spirit will make you like a California red oak, and the Spirit will watch over you if you'll just choose Jesus. Whoever the psalmist and the author of chapter 1 in Psalms, you can decide. There's 500 options that have been given depending on what commentary you read. But whoever that was certainly was not looking at the picture of Jesus as a human when they wrote that. But yet when they wrote it, they were pointing to the cross, just as Isaiah was in chapter 53, 
just as like all the authors in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus and his righteousness. Just choose him. You want to choose happiness? And you think, well, hold on now. If you say I'm choosing Jesus, so far I get, I get happiness? That is actually what I'm saying. But the problem is, don't confuse happiness with money. Don't confuse happiness with a jet. Choose Jesus. Choose righteousness. Blessed is that one. As we take communion this morning, the band comes up. I don't know this morning if you have relied so much on your righteousness and you've puffed yourself up and you are ecstatic about what you've done or if you're the person who's never had a relationship with Jesus, I'm not sure which side you may be on this morning, but whatever it is, my challenge to you, what I'm calling you to, is to choose him. That he made a way to righteousness through the cross. That he died for me and for you, defeated death and defeated sin. And if we would place our faith in him, in Christ alone, that we could be saved by the spilling of his blood. And that's a beautiful truth. And when we take in communion, as believers, that's what we celebrate. And we say that we can sit and commune with God because he made a way to the table by his blood, by his body. Father, I pray that we would trust in you and you alone. That we could say we are blessed and that we say no to sin, we delight in your word, and you have made us strong because we have said yes to you. You are the answer. So, Father, I pray that if someone in this room has not done that before, that they would place their faith in you this morning. And maybe someone who has just relied on themselves for far too long, maybe they would begin to trust you more. So, Father, we pray that regardless, Father, you would walk with us and lead us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.